Hi. Okay. Welcome. This is week one teaching for Way Less to Feed More. Hopefully, clicked on the link should have brought you right to this classroom. If you're having any problems with this audio or video, please let me know. So my name is Elisa Keaton. You guys know me. Some of you will know me as your facilitator, and some of you will just know me as um, the video from the video teachings. So we have. By this point, you have read through your week one material or maybe in the process of doing that, and then you're also getting this video teaching as a supplement for week one. So I'd like to just go ahead and take this time. We're going to open up in prayer and then move right into the foundation of Weight Less to Feed More. So Lord, we just thank you that um, you have gathered us for a purpose And Lord, that through your word, you refine us and teach us and strengthen us and humble us as well. Lord, we just take this time and open it up to you. Uh, May your spirit move through me clearly and boldly, Lord, to speak love and truth that uh, every one of our souls is hungry and thirsty for. Lord, I just bless you and we thank you for those who are watching this teaching. And uh, Father, be their strength. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good. So I'm really excited. This is a joy for me to get to teach. I enjoy every time I teach Way Less to Feed More with my small groups. I just enjoy it. I think the real the thing we want to remember is it is unlike every other weight loss program in a couple ways. One, we have God at the center of it, and we will express and explore the spirituality that makes us whole in Christ. Also, though, the fact that we have this way less to feed more, there's an aspect of justice that is involved as well. Hopefully you've all received your pledge forms and you're working hard at that. Your small group leaders, facilitators will also keep you um, accountable to that and moving in the direction because we want to be the hands and feet of Christ. We want to actually bring blessing into this world as we go through some of our own discomforts. Way Less to Feed More is about poverty. At the root of all of it, it's about poverty. Poverty that we have and poverty that others have and poverty that everyone has. The definition of poverty is a deficit, a lack, or insufficiency. A deficit, a lack, or insufficiency is the definition of poverty. And that is absolutely when you can break it down. If you have stumbled and struggled with weight loss, it's because something, there's a lack, there's a breakdown, there's an insufficiency inside of you that continues to bring you back to kind of a a starting point again and feeling like you just can't get moving in the right direction. It's a recognition of poverty. We do have poverty, whether it's physical or spiritual, there is poverty. We're going to be looking tonight at poverty, how it happened, what it means, the definition of it, and why it why it's so crucial for us to be able to address that and also the blessings that we have in our poverty. You know, um, poverty was once said, someone once said that poverty is, first of all, it's very complex. And tonight I'm going to show you how complex it is. But it's so complex, but at the end of it, it's really about relationships that don't work. Relationships that don't work. Relationships that are are broken that create poverty. And we can think of, you know, in, in, in the United States, we have a concept of poverty is in stuff. And we are, we are abundant. We have plenty in physical wealth. We are more than. We have abundant physical wealth. 
But with that, there's a spiritual aspect that can also become very evident as we sometimes use our physical wealth and we, we don't use or don't tend to the spiritual poverty. There's always this gentle balance in life. As something increases, something will decrease. And we, we have to be paying attention to that. And then elsewhere in the world, there's, there's physical poverty where they don't have stuff but man, oh man, do they have spiritual wealth. Not all, but some. Those that uh, we work through with Food for the Hungry have gone on, on some mission trips. Wherever we go where we proclaim the word of Christ, wherever we bring those types of blessings and abundance in spiritual wealth, they grow, they flourish, even if they don't have the stuff, the things that would, would somewhat make them maybe feel safer or more secure. I think that that is some of our downfall here in the United States is that we are so secure in our physical things and, and we have too much. We've, we've, we've crossed the line into, into an overdoing, an overabundance, which becomes our curse. Blessings can become our curses once we have gone far beyond uh, the, the blessing that is received from God and then we claim it as our own and then we lose sight of God and we become spiritually poor. So if poverty can be defined as relationships that don't work, and that's interesting because we know as believers in Christ, believers, you hear this a lot, that Christianity is not about a religion, it's about a relationship. And that is absolutely how we should desire to live. I saw someone had a shirt the other day that said, my relationship keeps me from religion. And I got that. I know what they were saying is my relationship with Christ keeps me from religion. It keeps me from becoming a law person, a person who thinks I can make a formula and please God and God will, will bless me. And that is where we can get, we, we can break down in relationships as well. Christianity is about a relationship. So if we look at poverty, said we're here tonight, you're all here because in some way there's a poverty, there's something in you that is not working, there's an insufficient because if you could fix this, you would, right? If you could have nailed this weight loss, um, wellness type of stress or your own physical failing health, you would. But there's a part, something is lacking inside of us. And so that being a broken space in us and poverty is about broken relationships and our Faith is about a relationship, so we're kind of getting somewhere. You can see how we're growing this and attaching it to something more whole. Throughout Way Less to Feed More, we will be, I will be teaching in biblical holism, something that's called biblical holism. Some of you may have heard this before, and some of you may not have heard it before. Biblical holism is about four relationships, and each one of these relationships you will find throughout your life, and you will also find them in the Word of God. We're going to get there in a minute, but the, let me just give you the outline for the four relationships. If you have notes, you have your journal, you have your workbook on the uh, video notes, there's a page um, that you should turn to on week one and maybe take some notes because these are the things that we're going to build on the foundation of how we move through becoming whole people, becoming people that pursue wholeness in our physical, spiritual, emotional, and relationships with others. So I just named them. These are the four relationships that are fundamental to your existence here on earth. And they're not only fundamental to you, but to all people. So the four relationships, the first being spiritual, your relationship with God. The second being social, your relationship with others. 
The third relationship, physical, your relationship to creation, to tangible things, stuff that's created, seen, smell, the things that you can touch. And the fourth relationship is mental and emotional, and this has to do within us. It's our own thoughts and our own feelings. So the relationship that I have with myself, which sounds kind of, I think that's one thing we've, we've lost in our Christian faith is we've thought, well, we just martyr ourselves, we kill off our flesh, and we don't care about ourselves, and we love God and we love others. But there is this element of ourselves that we bring to our authentic living in Christ, that we have to be accountable to our thoughts and to our feelings and, and looking at those and, and not running from them, not repressing them or suppressing them or completely um, exploding them on others. There is a part of us that in this deepest space of us that still needs to be given over, looked at, searched, as David would say, search me, O Lord, and know my heart, test my anxious thoughts, know my ways. It, this part of us is our intellectual emotional and mental well-being, and it's a relationship with ourselves and with God at the center. <clears throat> so what I'd like to do now is, is let's look at the Word of God and how these relationships are here. They're evident. You can see them. And then we're going to talk about what, how poverty enters and then the, the uh, redemption of poverty as well. So I just want to keep in mind, this book has um, two chapters, the very beginning, Two chapters, doesn't even make two pages in my book, where God sets it how things should be. How things should be, first two chapters. Then the rest of the book is just kind of where this middle space is. And we're all living in this middle space, just the how the things are. We have how things were, how things are, and then the last Book of the Bible and Revelation reveals how things will be. So the thick of the book is right here. Everything to where we are, time, place. And again, a lot of people are going to argue, well, the book's old. It doesn't make sense. It was written, you know, it's not current. It's not relevant to the time. It's absolutely relevant to the time. Um, but we have to be able to open our hearts to learning without our own bent um, ideas, our own bent opinions about the book itself. Remember that this is a tool. This is a tool. It's not God. God is in us, around us, working through us. But this is a tool that we could know God better, that we could know his thoughts and his feelings. The first two chapters are where we find real peace shalom and wholeness as it was meant to be. The middle is where we find the struggle. This is where we find ourselves now with the issue of your weight, with the issue of your health, with the issues of your family. Any issue you have, we're in those middle pages. And then we know that there is a promise that things will be put to and made right. So if you take out what's going on now, kind of the mess, the ugly, you got a little pamphlet. Right, But God speaks to us in these really, in this very thick middle place that we're all in right now. So we wanna, we're going to look at these first three chapters of the Bible tonight. And talking about poverty and the relationships that don't work. So in the beginning, the first two chapters we have. We talked about the first relationship being the spiritual relationship. This is the relationship between you and God. The, this is that 
intimacy of knowing God, the intimacy that you are known by God, this is the crucial relationship that every one of us has. Whether we're looking to God, the Bible tells us that God has set eternity in every man's heart. So every man is looking for this peace and shalom, and it's drawing them closer to God. It's a matter of will they want to see him? Will they want to revere him and love him? So in Genesis 1, 27 to 28, speaking of the, physical, the um, spiritual relationship between us and God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we see that, that God, we were thought of in created after his own likeness that nothing else was nothing else in in all creation because prior to that that everything else had already been set the physical the mountains the oceans the air the day the night all those things but none of those reflect the image of God image bearers of God that we are so he was so intimate this is that relationship he we are made in his image so that means we have some constant yearning and connection to him that we can run from it we can try to hide from it but he's coming after us because to deny us would be to deny his own love his own self so we have this relationship with God because we were created by God. This might be something for a lot of people. You have to stop this will this whole program itself if you haven't really surrendered and coming to, you know, God created me, God created. I'm a created being or am I an evolved being? If you're really still struggling with did God really create, did God and a lot of this, the foundation is still going to seem very shifting for you. But when it comes down to what we look at, that all this creation, how is God the God that can make something out of nothing? Yes, because something came out of nothing. I could go on about uh, the, the case for creation. But it really, in the end, we have, to, we have to come back, especially here we are, dealing with our bodies, dealing with the, the, the creation that is us, this issue of what we feel. We feel heavy, we feel sick, we feel tired, we don't feel good, we know we could feel better. And that is a created thing. God has created our bodies to feel and to have this relationship with Him and with others. And so He meets us right there. And that's where we're meeting Him as this created being, created by Him for relationships. Relationship. That's our spiritual. You also see, and I love in Genesis 2-7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I just love this picture of God coming close to us, putting his lips on us, putting, putting his very nature of, of existence and power and energy, which is the spirit of him, into us. And, you know, I think to myself, he could have clapped his hands three times. He could have snapped his hands. He could have just spoke us into existence like he did with everything else. He could have just spoken. But he came intimately close to us in a kiss. And that is a picture that this life force inside of you, the desire that you have to be in Wayless comes from the desire of God, not even from your own desires, because he desires good for you and, and, and health for you and well-being for you in the creation that he has created that is you. So it's, there's this, this, this energy inside of us, that spirit that moves us towards desiring the things that are right and the things that are good for our life. The social relationship is the next one. 
In Genesis 2.18, you can see that the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then jump down to verse 22. says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Ah, this is just that picture, because the man and the wife are the picture of marriage, the picture of the covenant, the picture of us and God, and that is the most intimate relationship that we will flesh have in this world is our relationship with uh, the man or the man to the woman and then from that other relationships can be expressed can be can be nurtured can be grown from that but the fact that this was a time that the man was revering the woman and seeing glory in her and they were working together and the the relationship between others uh, in, in in view of God's love and view of God's creation is working it's shalom, it's peace, and it's, it's good. The physical relationship in Genesis 1, 1 through fall 25. So the first word of, of creation in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created five words into the Bible. Five words in, you get that, huh. I, I once heard if you don't believe, if you, if you struggle with the five words, the rest of the book is going to be one heck of a struggle. But in the beginning, God created. Hmm, okay. And again, sometimes God has to exhaust us because we're so busy trying to create our own kingdoms and create our own place or peace and shalom and sense of well-being that we will exhaust ourselves and then we just have to go, okay, God created this. God knows what's going on. So in the beginning, God created, and then he creates. He creates the light and the darkness, the land and the sea, the air and the ground, and then creatures. He's creating. So he's just, this is, this is that physical existence, the mountains, the sea, all these things that we can see. He's, you know what I love about this is that he's setting the scene for us. He's setting, he, it's like he's this playwright, and before he even it puts the main characters in, he sets this scene, this gorgeous, beautiful scene, so that we would just be breathed in and put placed right into it. So all of creation, and he creates it all. In verses uh, 1, Genesis 1, 29 to 30, <clears throat> let's see, 1, 29 to 30. Then God said, I give you every bearing seed, or I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. <clears throat> and it was so. So he sets the scene, he creates it, and then he gifts it to us. He gifts it to us and says, here, take care of it. Be good to it and do good things with it. We don't get the warning. Well, we do get a warning later, but we, at this point we're not warned. Like, be careful because this good thing could become your God thing. This good thing could become something that you will abuse or take for granted or use in ways that was never designed to use. This was designed for your joy, for your enjoyment, for glory, for you to be reminded of how loved you are by me. Here, this is my gift for you. He gives it to us. That's the physical relationship. So we should have a healthy relationship with our physical environment. 
<coughs> That's why I'm, I, there's nothing wrong with recycling. We should be recycling. We should be thoughtful. But when we make recycling our God, when we make um, a global warming and the fear of all these things, that we, we really have to remember God is God. Yes, should we do everything possible to make the smallest carbon footprint? Yes, we should. We should be good stewards of what God has given us. But we should not make creation our God. Because it's we've far we've gone over the line of what is good, and we've become into making it a god. Mental and emotional relationship, <clears throat> Genesis one twenty seven to twenty eight, which I read before, and this is what God creates us in His image. But it says that God created us, created us in His image, male and female, and then He blessed them and gave them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the." The air, <clears throat> the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and over every living creature. What he's doing here is God is tending to us mentally and emotionally by giving us an identity and a purpose. When we feel ourselves being tossed about in fear and anxiety, these are the things we have to remember that we have an identity. We are children of God bearing his image. He is good to create us, and He is good to care for us. So because, I, like I said earlier, He cannot deny us to the provision and the promises that He has inside Him because it would be to deny Himself. We are just an offspring of His goodness. Those who will turn their faces and look to Him are in His love and in His providence and willing to be in His ways and follow and live a life that goes, Okay, God, I'm going to let you lead that he can't deny us because he knows that that would be to deny himself. That he, we have an identity in God. We cannot forget our identity of God, children of God. Not wife of so-and-so or mother of so-and-so or sister of none of those. Or even child of name your parents' name. Because those are all created that, that this is, that's down here on this earth. We are image bearers, identity created God. God. And then he gives us a purpose. So it's one thing to know who we are, but it's another to know what do we do, right? We're all, these are the two big philosophical questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? Who you are is a child of God, created in his image. That's your identity. Your purpose, to be fruitful, multiply, do good things, do good works. And a lot of that will come, and a lot of you say, well, I don't know what that looks like. You have to have sit and sit with some time and sit with your own, going into your own self, finding what are the things I enjoy? What are the things that excite me? What things do I come alive at doing? And then you go and you do that, and you find a need in the world for it. You find a way that you can bring God glory through it, and that is a good purpose. We all were created in God's image and identity, and we were given a purpose to go and be fruitful, multiply, and rule over, rule over the physical. And don't rule over other people, right? Rule over creation. So we're going to get to that in week three when we talk about food. Is food ruling us, or are we ruling over food? Just to kind of back up a little more cushion on mental and emotional, those are the, big, the two big ones, the identity and the purpose. You have an identity in Christ, and you have a purpose in Christ. And even if you're still trying to fumble through and find your purpose, you're in your purpose because you're working towards it. Your purpose is in each day to do good, to, to not stray from the path of God and, and know like that we've got a good work to do. 
right? Because we are servants of God created for good works for this day. Verse uh, uh, Genesis 2.3 says, And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Really important part of our well-being is resting. Really important part of our well-being is resting. In Hebrews 4, it's, it's this invitation to enter his rest, that those who believe in him will enter rest. So I want to encourage you that as we're about to just step off the dock into, into some, some water that might seem deep and cold to you in, in, in the weight loss or the getting healthy arena, that <clears throat> you, although you are, you are stepping out in a leap of faith, you are invited to rest in the work. Don't attack this in a way that you may have, in worldly way, of really kind of making it happen and doing it. And I'm going to get to that in a minute, but it's really important that you understand that there's a rest in our working. And it really is in falling back, trusting God, listening for His prompting, listening for His Spirit, and finding intimate relationship with Him. Listen, everyone, I said it in the reading. This is just another place that God is calling you into intimacy with him through weight loss or through health issues or through wellness, through stress, whatever is rocking you physically. God's saying, okay, not that there aren't other things on your plate because I know there are. I know there are other things on your plate besides trying to lose some weight this, the next eight weeks. <clears throat> but he's saying, Okay, I'll, let's take this. I'll take, he'll take anything, any one of your circumstances in life and to draw you closer to him. But since we've all agreed, okay, eight weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at this facet of our life for eight weeks. We'll come on, welcome in, and God's going to do the work as you rest in the faith of listening and abiding. We'll get, and we're going to just keep working on that as the weeks go by. Verse 2, 15 to 17, Genesis 2 <clears throat> 15 to 7, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. <clears throat> and the Lord God commanded them, commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. This verse has two things that we will need for mental and emotional well-being in Christ. Freedom and boundaries. Freedom and boundaries. You are free to eat of anything. Go enjoy this world. Go enjoy this life. Go jump in. Hike a mountain. Spend some time. Go play with your kids. Sit down around a meal and have dinner together. Embrace this creation that I've given you. You are free to embrace it. But I have a boundary for you. A boundary for them. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave one boundary. In the tree of knowledge of good and evil, isn't that? It's exactly what we thought and think we can do. And in this next eight weeks, you will think that you can do it. Is I'll figure this out. I've got a great idea. <laughs> or I know. It's this I want to know. I want to be God. I want to have control. I need to know the knowledge of I want to be God. A, a tree of knowledge and, e and evil. So, boundary. There will be parts of this journey we take that you're going to go, I don't know what's going on, but I know who does. And I'm going to get quiet and I'm going to listen and I'm going to slow back, <clears throat> right? Because otherwise we'll just leap out and try to be God ourselves. And then we've crossed a boundary. 
God's boundary is to say, have it all, enjoy it, be full in life, but there is a boundary. Don't cross it. And that's what I said, because we will easily make our good thing that God has given us our God thing. And once we've done that, we've crossed a boundary and we're actually moving towards death. There's no life there. So that's looking how things were meant to be. God gives us freedom, gives us boundaries. He's talking to keeping our well-being in check, how to take care of, of the physical environment, how to have relationship with others, what that relationship should look like. And then most importantly, the relationship that must be consistently held with him. So, what happened? Genesis 3, right? Two chapters of Shalom, and then we enter in the chaos. Genesis 3, 4 to 5. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What happens is the lie. The serpent enters, challenges the boundary that God set, the truth that he gave us, Challenges our freedom, too. We exchanged our freedom to be God. And really, at any time, if you find yourself not feeling very free, (laughs) it's because we're trying to be God. So the lie comes in and breaks everything down. We believe the lie. We believe the temptation that we can be God and we can know good and we can know evil. Then, uh, right after they eat from the tree, read in verse 8 and 11, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? I'm going to stop right there. Because God is coming and addressing the lie. He's coming. He comes for them. He knows that they've eaten. He knows he comes looking for them and they're hiding because now there are other elements that that come with sin. is shame and and the regret and, and the hiding, darkness. We go away from God instead of towards God. But he says straight to them, who told you? This is a small group question this week. And I want you to really take some notes and begin to think somewhere in all of us we have been told some lies there might be a big overall theme lie in your life or there might be some small ones but I want you to reflect and find out who told you someone told you some lies for example maybe it was um, some coach that told you you were fat you were overweight you were slow, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was someone. Remember, humans are bent. We can't put our hope in humans. Our hope is in God. And these little bends and these little, as John Eldridge calls them, the message of the arrows that try to come in and define our life are the who told you. And those that they tell us, we try to bend our life away from God so that we're actually living more the message of the arrows in our hearts. We're just living that type of, of lie and we're believing it. And God's going to back it up and says, who told you that? Who told you that? Maybe someone told you you are an outsider. You'll never fit in. Maybe someone told you you're not beautiful. Maybe someone told you that you're not strong. Maybe someone told you that you're weak. 
maybe in in some ways maybe you're even believing a lie that someone told you that um, you've got to be something or do something or perform uh, and that can look really good on the surface but inside you don't really even know why you do that and is there real joy there so that is a small group question for you this week who told you so the lie brings with it broken relationships. Remember we said at the beginning of this teaching that poverty is about relationships that don't work? Here it is. The lie that was given to us that, that we believe that we could be God, the temptation that came with it, creates the broken relationships. So poverty enters right with the lie and relationships are not working. You can see this, the spiritual relationship in Genesis 3, 21 to 24, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. And he drove the man out. When we were beginning, we were in the beginning, we were, drove, we were meant to come in and to be in relationship God in intimacy, but he had to drive us out. Now, some of you might think, well, that just seems mean, right? That's not a loving God. You can see two things that we know are loving. One is he didn't let us eat from the tree of life, because if we had we eaten from the tree of life, this would be our eternal existence of depravity, that we would just live in this constant cycle of thinking we were God and, and there is no one higher than me, and we would have shame covering us. We wouldn't even be able to have a real relationship with our husbands or wives or our, our loved ones. We would not see, we would, the environment would be absolutely something we would take for granted or use, uh, overuse. Either way, because he did not want this to go on forever, it cannot, don't let them eat from the tree of life. They have to be sent out of the garden Another reason for being sent out of the garden is that God is holy and in our act of disobedience, of free will, remember we had a, a free will, and that kind of backs up, because God loves us so much, he gives us free will. He loves us so much that he doesn't say, you will love me, he says, you have free will to love me. And knowing he giving us the gift of free will, he knew we would turn our backs, he knew we would eat from the tree of life, he knew, he knows this whole story, he knows where it is and where it's going, where it's been, where it is and where it's going. And in it is a redemption plan. As he sends us out of the garden, he knows he's coming for us. He knows he's coming for us. And he's gonna work this junk out of us in the meantime, right? In the middle pages, he works this stuff out of us so that we, because sin is in the world, because free will is there as well, that we get a chance to use those hard things that come against us and be refined by them and be more glorious for his purposes in our life and for others purpo other purposes as well, <clears throat> instead of letting sin just bend us and chain us and push us down. Right? For some, sin comes against us and we feel trapped. And for others, <coughs> sin is a way to use that to take what, what the Satan intended for our destruction and God uses for good, just like the story of Joseph in the Bible. So that is our, our spiritual relationship with God. As we were sent out of the garden, we don't have that, that peace and wholeness with him that we once did, and we're sent out. 
Social Genesis 3, 11 to 12, the famous line, that woman said, who told you that you were naked and you've eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat? And the man said, the woman, you put her with me. She gave me some fruit for the tree and I ate it, right? The relationship here, a few verses later, Adam is loving the wife. Here's the flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone and just seeing how glorious of a creation she is. And finally, I'm not alone. And then she did it. I think this uh, this is just a reminder that, that this is what keeps books like Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus and all these relationship books keeps them going. This is what keeps weight loss books coming out because everyone's got a take on these broken relationships. In Genesis three sixteen to 19, it says, this is where all these curses come in. The woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, ate from the tree, I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles by the sweat of your brow. And we just know that things go wrong and the evidence of labor and work and the type of labor that we weren't we shouldn't have had to endure had we not crossed the boundary the interesting thing there too is that the women will be looking to their men and it doesn't say anything about the man will be looking to the woman it pretty much says the man you're going to be busy working and i think that if you're married that sums up a a, a good kind of model of our homes. I think women, we are looking to our, our men, we're looking, we're loving them, and we're maybe not feeling something in return, and they're looking somewhere else. We're just both looking in different directions. Once, when we were looking at each other as one, we're now moved and looked away from each other, so our relationships aren't working. Shame entered as well in verse 7, and that's why um, they made covering for themselves. And I think that's interesting in 3-7 when it says the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. They made covering for themselves. They didn't make coverings for each other. They made, it, that became Boop, me, I'll, I'll take care of me and you take care of you and let's hide this shame and let's not talk, let's... Let's quick, let's just, <clears throat> let's find a resolution to this. Okay, quick, cover yourself up. The physical relationship in Genesis 3, 16 to 19, and that's in the whole curses. I was saying before that, that our bodies will, but childbirth is bearing and pain and childbirth, our bodies, we have pain, we have sweat, we have thorns and thistles and things just begin to die. Our bodies were meant for wholeness, but we live in a fallen world where we are going to encounter these types of struggles and pains. Mental and emotional. Genesis 3-7. That's where the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. Shame. Genesis 3-7. In our mental and emotional, the well-being of us entered shame. And what I think is funny, too, is how their eyes were opened, which is really their eyes were closed. Because when our eyes are open, we see the glory of God. But once sin comes into our life, it flips everything. So we think our eyes are open and we're actually just, we're not, we're seeing now shame. We don't really even see ourselves. We just see, we see shame. Our eyes were open to the confines of the world, the confines of a bent and broken world. <coughs> In Genesis 3, 8, right after the man, the, 
And his wife heard the sound of the Lord, the God, and he was walking in the garden, the cool of the day, and they hid. Why do we hide? Right? Why do we hide as little kids? Well, one is for games and fun, but another is when we're afraid. When we're afraid and we don't want to be found out, we hide. We hide. And these two, two main emotions, if you keep peeling back the layers of our repetitive cycles of doing, uh, not doing as we should, or the things we should do we don't do, right? The sin that's kind of working in us. If you keep peeling back why we do those things or why we don't do or why we think or feel those things that just tear us apart and keep us from the wholeness, it's because of fear or shame. You keep backing up and there's something in us that is fearful or there's something in us that is shameful. Fear and shame is the, are the main tools and weapons that the enemy uses against us. Genesis 3.23 is also another kind of sad become a state of the mental and emotional for us is that they w- we would wander. The Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. We're just in wanderers, right? We're in search of home. <clears throat> People come, whether you're in Wayless, because you're just, you're searching. You want to, you want this wholeness. You would like home. We're all wandering and searching for that place of rest and peace. And that's part of the pain that we feel in our mental, emotional, unsettled well-being. So here's a really cool thing. If you turn to Luke 2.52... I'm sorry, of allergies. Luke 2.52. Very cool. It says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Kind of backing up to saying how God banished us from the garden, but he had a plan. He was going to come for us, and he comes for us in Christ. He comes for us. God in man coming down to us coming down to us to rescue and save us from ourselves. Remember, there's no other religion, no other religion, no other faith, no other faith uh, system that says God came down to us. All the rest of them are working up towards God. But in God coming down to us, it releases us from the work so that we can rest and we know we are loved because that's what a father would do, right? A father pursues to the end. A good father. So Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus grew in wisdom, mental and emotional, stature, physical, his body, and in favor with God, his spiritual relationship with the father, and with men, his social relationship with others. (coughs) Jesus is whole. That's what this whole kind of saying, even though our relationships, as much as we try to make them work, don't work and fail, and we find ourselves lacking and insufficient and trying this and trying that. Jesus is whole. That is why nobody needs another program. Nobody needs another Weight Watchers eight weeks. Nobody needs Wayless to feed more for eight weeks. What we all need is Jesus because he's the wholeness. He is the remedy for our brokenness. There's a theory out there. So I've mentioned these four relationships Physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional, and social. You give me any problem in life, anything, and you will find it in one of these four categories, if not bleeding over into others. So I usually put up a drawing, but I don't have the drawing this time because I wanted you to be able to still see my face. I want you to see this um, biblical holism as a chart. At the top, there's you in the middle. There's you. 
And then above you is this relationship between you and God. It is that vertical relationship that, that, that is stemming from between you and God. And then on the horizontal, you have the relationship with you and others. That's your social. And you have the relationship with you and creation. Food, your body, <coughs> um, drinking, uh, anything, anything that you can put in your hand or touch and see, taste, smell, feel. Here, that's your physical creation. And then you have a deeper part of who you are is your mental and emotional well-being. And again, you're in the middle. God just wants to take you down deeper. He's at the top and he's going to keep drilling down deeper into us as we stay aligned with him so that we can spread out and enlarge to the right and to the left as we grow in relationship with him. So all these relationships are kind of spinning around us every day. We have God, we have others, we have our feelings and our thoughts, and then we have this, this creation, this physical stuff. There's something called the organic theory, that if you were to change any one of these relationships, change any one of them, and the whole thing changes. Makes sense, because think about this from just the perspective of weight loss. <coughs> People that decide to lose weight, well, first they obviously tend to look right at the physical. All right, let's, let, I need to work out more, move my body more, and eat less food, right? So they go right to the physical. Well, as soon as you do that, as soon as you, you begin to, to change that, that, that relationship in your life, it is going to affect, especially the bottom three, how you think and feel. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be tempted. You're going to, you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're either going to start to think very gloriously of yourself while I'm doing this. Look how great I'm doing. I'm able to do this. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Uh, or when you tempt, when you fall and you have a slip, oh, I feel terrible. I should know better. And we, and, and so the relationship within yourself is going to depend on how that relationship with you and food and exercise are doing. And then over on the other side, if you change your relationship with food and, and, and uh, exercise, you will see that your relationship with others will change too. Those that don't want to do that, those who prefer you not, want you to have a glass of wine with them or want you to have an indulgent lifestyle of eating with them or whatever, however practices you had, they are going to change too. So that changes. And then again, just they can watch the changes in us. If they see us starting to think that we feel great or better about ourselves, they could be threatened by that. So that changed the social relationship. Any time you change one, you'll start with the relationship of God. If you were to say, you know what? Even it didn't matter about health or whatever. Just you feel the presence of God and God is calling you. And God's calling you and you're going to start living more every day in that relationship with Him. You can absolutely bet that all the other relationships will be affected. But God promises us, promises us that as our relationship with Him is first and foremost, that He will care for what we eat and drink and what we will wear. The people around us who He will do a thinning out, possibly, of the people in our lives that maybe are going to hold us back, are going to snare us and trap us from really growing in Him. And as painful as that can be to lose things, as painful as that can be to lose things, we have to remember He's God. He's good. And so things change there. And then our feelings and thoughts of ourselves will begin to change as we change and become into relationship with God. All these things. 
I think when you change the three without looking to God, um, you never really notice that God is there. But God is always there kind of sovereignly watching over us change these other bottom three, our thoughts, our feelings. We try really hard. We'll get a self-help book and we'll work really hard at having positive thoughts and doing positive things. And we're not really looking to God as that, that um, center place of our life or that place that it all stems from. But we're working really hard. I think God blesses that. He looks at it and says, okay. I mean, he's so, so ready for you to look to him first. And that's why I want you all to turn to 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 9 through 16. And I'm going to close on this. So this, is, this, is, this is what matters most in this uh, breaking of our poverty. First Corinthians three nineteen to sixteen. I'm sorry, <coughs> nine to sixteen. Whoops! Did I do the wrong one? You know what? I think it's Romans. No, sorry. First Corinthians three nineteen to sixteen. Yeah. Let's read that. 1 Corinthians 3, 9-16. For we are God fellows workers, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? This is talking about building something. Folks, this is what we're going to do. For the next eight weeks, you are going to get to work on building your temple. I can't build it for you. Your facilitator can't build it for you. You've got to get to work with God on building your temple. And the foundation that is laid is this, the foundation in those relationships. It starts with God first. It starts with looking towards God first. And it says that right away, that our foundation is, which is Jesus Christ. No one can lay any foundation other than Jesus Christ. We're trying to build something here, right? Trying to rebuild our body and make it strong. Our thoughts, our feelings, make it strong. Our relationship with food, make it solid and steadfast. But the foundation must be on Jesus Christ himself. And if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones, Wood, hay, or straw. Either way. So here's what you don't want to build. Here's what the world says. Build on wood, hay, straw. Wood, hay, straw is going to burn up in the fire. If the, the first temptation that comes through whoosh, burns up. Or maybe for a while. Or you'll just switch the things that you, you use. You no longer might use food, but you'll use exercise as your foundation. And then that burns up when you get injured. Or burns up when you're burned out and you're tired. Wood, hay, straw are the things that the fire of this world can just blow away. But those who lay it 
<clears throat> on gold or silver or costly stones. That's what we do through these next eight weeks. We're going to build this foundation, and it's going to cost. I told you at the beginning when you watched the video that all of you should have been reading on what it takes, the cost, to count the cost that nobody builds without looking at what it's going to cost. And there's going to be a cost involved. I'm, I'm telling you right now, we're all excited. It's week one. It's going to be great. I'm going to do it. And, and we, we uh, blessings on that. The Lord bless you. I will be praying for you. But you know the fire's coming. And if we have built on wood, hay, or straw, we're going to come out. We'll come out. We'll have grace. We're going to smell like smoke. We're going to smell like smoke. We'll be forgiven. And we think we're tired of that pattern. Wood, hay, and straw, not a solid foundation. We must start with a solid foundation, and that is in rooting it, saying, this time, God, I'm going to look to you. This program is not about anything else but giving you a space and a time to put God at the center of every one of those relationships, but more so if it must be with through food and exercise, okay, we'll do it. Let's do it that way. And then let's see how that shifts and changes all the other relationships in your life. And in closing, I want you to turn to Romans 9.16, please. Whoops, I went the wrong way. Romans 9.16-17. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. This is your Bible verse for week one. Raised you up for this very purpose. Right? And the most important thing that we can remember when building this foundation is that it does not depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. I can't tell you how many times in this next, in the weeks together, the weeks that you are home and the weeks that you are working through this changing, slowly evolving place of putting God at the center of, of this issue, that you will need to cry, mercy, mercy. Lord, have mercy on me because you will be afflicted. You will feel, uh, if you're not feeling affliction, if you're not feeling uh, confronted with old habits and patterns, you are not, you are not changing. You are not turning a new, a new way. And so you're going to be. And at that point, the mercy of God, the mercy of God is what it will take. That's it. That is God's mercy is what changes us. So I hope this study kind of kicked it off for you and, and gave you this foundation of understanding poverty, our brokenness, why we need to rebuild on what the foundation needs to be. And remember, Jesus says in Matthew 5 on the Beatitudes when he's talking about this, this way of the kingdom, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. He starts it with blessed are you. He flips everything in this kingdom upside down. The world economy gets flipped upside down in God's kingdom. And if you're poor, you're blessed. So whenever we're feeling, I don't have it, I'm lacking, I'm insufficient, God's standing right there saying, great, I do. You're blessed. I'm with you. I'm with you. Remember that in this next eight weeks, that blessed are you when you feel afflicted. Blessed are you when you're feeling tempted. Blessed are you, period. God's image bearers, children given a good purpose. And we're going to walk towards that in the next eight weeks together.
So I bless you. I pray that you would uh, study well this week, do your Bible study, and come prepared to small groups. And I look forward to talking with you. I'm going to close in prayer. Jesus, I thank you that the calling that you have on our life, Lord, is full. It, it is everything. It, it, you are everything in all relationships in our life. Lord, I thank you that your spirit is kind and gentle and that you will, you will change it and move us towards this, this fuller place that we have in you as we claim the right as your children, as we claim the right as your children to have the promises that you've made, Lord. We just thank you that you're going to minister us this week, Lord. Help us to lift each other up in prayer. When one of us is feeling afflicted or one of us is feeling tempted, that we would pray for the whole, Lord. Help the small group leaders and the facilitators to um, find ways to connect with each other, to find ways to uh, build up each other, and Lord, and to have your kingdom built. Lord, we desire to be the people that you've, you've said that you wanted us to be. And we know that's where life is found. We turn our back on death, Lord. We turn our back on our old ways and patterns. Help us, give us the strength. And we love you, Jesus. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, coming down, meeting us, Lord, in our poverty. Lord, help us, help us to have fullness in life and humility, keeping a humble heart. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Wonderful. You guys, blessings and peace, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.